Let's open together to James chapter 3. James 3 is where we'll start in uh, this part of our worship. It is good to see you this morning and good to know that we have uh, other brothers and sisters who are uh, watching and following along online. We're glad that you're here, glad that you've joined us. Uh, I want to, before I get into my part, uh, remind everybody about um, Brother Don sent out an email this week about uh, his class that he is going to conduct this afternoon at 5 over uh, Zoom. So if you don't, didn't get that email or you're interested in that and you don't have that information, contact Brother Don. But uh, looking forward to, uh, to that class. We're going to be studying 1 Samuel, and I think it's 1 and 2 today, uh, about uh, Hannah. And uh, so looking forward to that. And it will be an interesting new experience for us to figure out how we do a, an actual adult Bible class on Zoom. We've been doing that about the, uh, the men's study, the Thursday morning men's study for the last couple of weeks. And uh, that's gone well, but I wonder, I, I don't know how many will be there, but I uh, hope everybody will uh, join in this afternoon at 5. I suspect that we don't have a lot of other commitments at that time, just my suspicion, uh, if your schedule is anything like mine has been over the last couple of weeks. All right, I want to begin by reading James 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every, every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So if you notice, James moves. In verse 1, he's talking about teachers. Don't be many teachers. We'll receive a stricter judgment. But he moves from that and explains, the reason I'm saying that is about the tongue, because teaching involves the tongue, and we have to understand the danger of the tongue. And the problem that James is addressing for a lot of this section is that the tongue seems like it's not that big a deal. Like what we say just seems to be unimportant. But James says is it's a much bigger deal because it's a lot like a small thing that has a disproportionate impact. And he uses two examples. He talks about uh, the bit that we put in a horse's mouth on the bridle, and that way you can move the horse wherever you want it to go. He also talks about a rudder, very small part of the ship, especially in proportion to the rest of the ship. And yet you move the rudder and the whole ship turns. And so the same way the tongue is a little thing, but man, it affects so much about who we are and what we do and the impact that we have on others. And especially, James is concerned about the impact we have for destruction. Notice some of the pictures. Like in verse 5, he talks about how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. and The tongue is a fire. In verse 8, he says, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So the tongue has a power not just to do good, here he's focusing on the tongue has the power to do evil. And I think we all know that. 
I guarantee that everyone who can hear me right now can probably, without too much thought, bring up some things that someone said to them, words that still ring. You still hear them. Uh, something someone said that, that caused a scar that is still there. Maybe that's something that a parent said or something that a friend said, something that someone you were interested in romantically said. Someone has said something to you that you still remember because it caused such pain for you. We have felt, in other words, the poison James is talking about. And you might ask, well, why, why is this such a big deal? Why do words hurt us like that? where there is damage that lasts for years and years. And I think the Bible has the answers to that. Jesus says that words are the expression of the heart. So really what's happening when someone says something to us and that lasts and that pain sticks with us, what what is happening there is we are hurt by the fact, not that someone said something because words are immaterial, that the problem is we are hurt by the fact that you feel that way about me that you hate me and you have expressed that through words, or that you want to hurt me and you've expressed that through words. The words reveal the heart. And so when someone thinks and feels something hurtful toward us, well, it hurts us. So our theme for the year is house rules, where we've been talking about principles for Christian homes. And we've been asking the question, how should we learn and teach the faith at home? And then from there how we move from the home out into the world. So a lot of the most important lessons that we learn and the most important lessons that we teach happen at home. So we've talked about this year how home is a safe place, how we respect each other, and then how we tell the truth. But a funny thing happened since we last met and talked about uh, our house rules theme, which is a whole lot of us have been spending a whole lot more time at home. And it's an interesting thing because... Uh, sociologists have studied the impact of a time like what we're living in, where there is a quarantine or where there is a reason for homes to be more closed off than normal. And you can expect, sociologists tell us, that divorce rates are going to spike once the disaster is over. Because as we spend more time together, a lot of the tensions that we live with by not dealing with now come to the forefront. In fact, we're already seeing that in China. In China, where some of the impacts of this virus have lessened, well, now divorce rates are spiking there and domestic violence is spiking there because as people spend more time together, those things tend to come out. Things can go really well or things can go really poorly when we spend a lot of time together. So it seems to me particularly powerful for us to think about how we live out the faith at home. So what I want to do this morning is talk about this house rule, that we speak with love. I want to connect that picture of the home and family and that picture James has of the tongue and say, how can we be sure at home first and then from home to the places that we go out into our workplace, into our local church, how can we be sure to train ourselves and our children to speak with love? We want to communicate good to our family. Look at verse 7 with me. In James 3 and verse 7, he says, Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So there are animals that we try to tame, right? And after a period of years with extensive exposure and you work with that animal, you can kind kind of drop your guard with them. 
That is, you can take the leash off the animal and they're not going to run away. You might even be able to touch them and they're not going to bite you. You know, you have tamed successfully. And James says the tongue is not like that. You never reach a point of familiarity with your tongue where you could just take the leash off and just let it fly. Just whatever you want to say, just let it go. You can never fully let your guard down with your tongue. So my goal this morning is to get us to think about how we can use our tongues deliberately to communicate love instead of just letting it run free. So the question is, how do we talk when we speak with love? And I want to give you a few uh, principles here from the New Testament. First of all, we show kindness instead of harshness. So when we speak with love, that means we never lose sight of the fact that we love the person we're talking to. That just can never go out of our heads. So that whatever we're thinking or feeling or want to express, it has to be tempered with the fact that I love this person. And one of the ways that I show love is what the Bible calls kindness. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul takes time to sort of personify and describe love. What love does, what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13. And as you turn there, I want you to notice as we read this section, how many of the things that are used to describe love relate to talking. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So he starts in verse 4 by saying love is patient and kind, which in my experience, patience and kindness are usually expressed by talking and how we talk to one another, uh, especially the tone in which we talk. He also talks about in verse 4, it does not envy or boast. Boasting is a way we speak that exalts ourselves, focuses on ourselves rather than other people. Love doesn't do that. He talks about, uh, let's see, where am I? He talks about in verse 5, the picture there is rudeness. Uh, That's my version. Usually rudeness is verbal. Uh, He also talks about in my version in verse 5, irritable or resentful. Irritation, some versions have like uh, being easily provoked. That's usually expressed verbally. If I'm irritated, how are you going to know? You're going to listen to me. And then you'll say, oh, Jacob's irritated about something. So here is the point. The overarching truth in Paul's definitions of love here is that love is much more concerned about other people and how we impact them than it is about just me. So love is always going to communicate in a way that remembers that other people are the ones we're trying to value and show concern for. So when I talk about kindness then, we show kindness instead of harshness. I want to remind you that the way that God talks about this, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, is that it's not just that he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. There are also a couple of words that are used to sort of explain that. When he says one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is kindness. That we know what those things mean, and they create an impression in us just hearing those words. In fact, it's really difficult to ever just define the word kind. You end up saying, well, it's being kind. You know, it doesn't really work. So we know what kindness is. We know what gentleness is. The question is, are we willing when we speak to show kindness 
Or are we tempted sometimes to show harshness? We've talked a lot in this series about how in Colossians 3, Paul warns against harshness. Don't be embittered towards your wives. Uh, Don't provoke your children. Don't be harsh in the way you deal with them and engage with them. Show kindness and gentleness. So we speak with love because we show kindness instead of harshness. What we're describing here when we talk about kindness, when we talk about not being irritable, being patient, is we're describing a tone, how we talk to one another. Because we all know that we could say the same thing in one tone and the same thing in a different tone and create an entirely different impression. In fact, we could hurt people just by the tone of voice. Haven't you ever had someone say that to you? It's not so much what you said, it was how you said it. What do they mean? They mean you are irritated with me, you're angry with me, and I can tell, even though the words may not be the problem. So in our homes, what can easily happen is that our familiarity with one another lets us kind of let the leash off our tongues. We say, you know what, this is my house. I should, I should just say what I think. I'm just going to tell you what I think about you. And when we do that, we're not really thinking about how we love that person and want to try to help them to be better. Instead, we're thinking about ourselves and how we just want to vent. So when we speak with love, we show kindness instead of harshness. Now, kindness doesn't mean that we always agree with other people. It doesn't mean that there are never any consequences when someone does something wrong. It doesn't mean we always accept how we're being treated. That's not what I'm talking about. It means that I'm always going to temper my anger and my rage because God has taught me to speak kindly. So maybe that means I need to take some time to think carefully about what I'm about to say and how I'm going to say it. Maybe I need some time just to cool down. Maybe that means that I want to be sure that you hear my point instead of just my anger. In fact, sometimes it seems to me that we're completely unaware of how angry we are and how it's coming across until someone tells us and kind of points that out to us. But very often, there are ways we can soften our tone even without changing our words. I want to say, uh, for me, this is usually a struggle where I don't realize that I'm, I'm very stressed about something. I don't realize how angry I've gotten. I get irritated and frustrated with a person in a situation, and I speak out of that irritation. I am saying Scripture teaches us that when we speak with love, we're going to need to focus on kindness. Am I speaking kindly to this person? We learn that and we practice that at home, but once we develop that skill, we can then take it out into our other relationships, learning to speak kindly with others. Second, we speak with love when we build up instead of insulting. That passage we started with about James uh, talking about the tongue, he mentioned blessing and cursing, cursing other people, which is the idea of speaking evil or saying insulting things about people. But speaking with love means I'm going to try to build up instead of insulting. I'm not just tearing down. So the question that this idea asks is, what good am I doing with my speech? When I speak, what benefit is there going to be? Now, it's possible to find something. that. Please listen to what I'm about to say because you might disagree initially. It is possible to find something to compliment in everybody. Now, you might have to think really hard. Sometimes it might not be right on the surface. But we can always find something good, something we can praise. Always. I'm impressed with the fact that you remember when Paul 
is called to uh, go up to Mars Hill, the Areopagus in Acts 17. And he is irritated. The scripture says his spirit was provoked within him. But when he gets up on the Areopagus and he's surrounded by these Greek philosophers, the first thing he says is, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. First thing he says, man, you guys are doing a great job being religious. Let me tell you what you need to be doing because of that. But he starts with praise. He starts with a compliment. Have you ever thought about what it does to people when you start by praising them? Think about yourself. When someone says something kind to you, praises you, praises some feature of your personality or something about something you've done, you know what it does? It softens you and it opens you up. Now, I understand some people, if you want to be cynical, some people are just trying to flatter you and they want to get something out of you. I get that. But just, it's just natural for us. When someone praises us, we, we don't get defensive against them. Wait a minute. We say, oh, thank you. You know, that's a very nice, that's a nice thing to say. I appreciate you saying that. And we're, we're open to them. And then if they, if they have more to say, we're probably going to listen. But what happens when the first thing we hear from someone is criticism? Uh, suddenly, we're defensive. We're not open at all. We're closed. Uh, you don't have any right, anything you say, even if I would have agreed with it normally, when you say the, the criticism first, I'm probably not going to agree. I'm not going to listen because you've started with an insult. So I want us to think about how we can build up with our speech instead of insulting. Let's go over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, this is the passage Brother Kerry read for us at the beginning of the service. Ephesians 4. And verse 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So what is good for building up? That's the the idea here. We build up instead of insulting. And building up is about how I can make this person better. Now, I want you to listen to these words. The word is edification which is the idea of building an edifice. Or sometimes we say we need to say something that's constructive. Okay, It's something that's going to be positive. Or in one way or another, we need to do something that will build up. Do you hear in those words, an edifice, constructing, building up, that we're using the picture, and it's the same in Greek, of building a building? And we're, we're adding a little to it? So when we build someone up, when we edify them, when we say something constructive, What we are doing is that we are contributing with our words to the character they're building. We are trying to help them continue in a good direction instead of a bad direction. And so we are encouraging that by the things that we say to them. Now, we also use that same picture when we say it's possible to tear others down. She uses that building and say, whatever character you're building, I'm trying to tear it down. I'm trying to destroy it. We can do either one of those with the way that we talk to people. Have we thought about that? That what we say encourages or discourages someone from a right kind of character? Now that happens especially at home, where as our children are growing and we see good things and we see bad things, that we have the temptation to only criticize the bad things and never to praise the good things. Because the good things, I'll speak for myself, sometimes it seems to me that all I do, I don't really say much until there's a problem, and then I'll address the problem. 
But see, when we say I'm going to build up, what we're saying is I love you and I love the way you're growing in good directions. I'm going to praise that. If there's something to be corrected, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but I want to praise you. I don't just want to insult you. I love you and I want to build you up. Have you ever thought about why we insult people? Why does this happen? We insult people because it makes us feel better. We insult people because we want to hurt them. It might be, and this is a rather charitable interpretation, it might be that we have a problem with them and we really want them to change, but we just haven't thought about the best way to do that. So all that comes out is an insult. But insulting is almost always about me and what I like or don't like and how you're irritating me or how I want to score points off some problem you have. But love says, what about helping them? It's not about me. So parents, I want to encourage you to kind of flesh out what I just said. Parents, praise what you like in your kids and what you want to encourage. I think we need to encourage our children to tell their parents, to tell their brothers and sisters, to tell their friends what they love about them. You know, I I think that might sound cheesy, but I actually think it would really be a good thing. Because when we tell each other what we love about them, that, that doesn't come off poorly. People are excited. We all want to know what others love about us. That's exciting and encouraging. That makes us feel better. So that goes farther and helps more than insulting or name-calling. If you've got a problem with someone, find a way to praise a good thing they're doing. And in doing so, you'll help build them up in a different direction than the way they're going that you don't like. Third thing, uh, we speak with love when we give grace instead of corruption. Let me explain what I mean by that. That This is about our subject matter and what we talk about. And Paul has some things to say about that. Look in verse 29 again with me. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now, that word corrupting, your version might just have corrupt. It's an interesting word because it can go in two directions. It could be talk that is corrupt in itself, or it could be talk that corrupts other people. And I have in mind that it probably is both that it's speech that shouldn't be spoken, and then it's not only corrupt in itself, but it's also going to corrupt other people. And instead, he says in verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Giving grace, giving a gift, doing something kind, showing something to someone. So are people better for hearing me speak, or are they worse? Am I giving grace Or am I corrupting others? Look in Ephesians 5 and verse 3. Ephesians 5 and verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So you see, we're talking about the topic of our speech here. What are we talking about? And he says in verse 3, there are some things that must not even be named. They don't deserve to be talked about. There is filthiness. There is foolish talk. That is, it's not going anywhere. It's not doing any good. And there is crude joking. Now, we might think that that's funny. All cultures seem for some reason to be drawn toward dirty jokes. But it doesn't make anybody better. Like, what good is it doing? That's what Paul is asking. In fact... Those kinds of jokes are often mocking at sin. If you read down in verse 12 of Ephesians 5, he actually says it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. 
Now, he's not saying, you know, he should never mention that some people do wrong things. He's saying to go around talking about that as if it's okay, that's a problem. And see, when we do that, when we talk about things in that light way, what we're really communicating is that sin is just not that big a deal. It's kind of funny, kind of silly. It's kind of a playful thing. And in doing so, what do we give people? We don't give people a better way. What we give them is corruption. We make them worse because of the way that we talk. So the question is, are people better for hearing me speak? If I'm not sure that what I'm going to say is going to benefit somebody, if it's going to give them grace, if it's going to draw them closer to God, then maybe I should just keep that to myself. Maybe there's no good reason for me to say it. Speaking in love is going to involve my conversation topics, particularly that's true at home, and then it goes out of the home into my workplace, into my friendships, into my relationships with others. But there are some things that are never out of place. Did you notice that in verse 4? He talks about, let there be no filthiness or foolish talking nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, building up, talking about God and what God has done. Those things give grace. Uh, This is Colossians 4 and verse 5. I'm sorry, I got a complaint that I'm still looking at this side, so I'll look at this side. Uh, Colossians 4 and verse 5. You know who you are. Uh, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious. Give grace with your speech. Seasoned with salt means that there is care that we take to make sure that our speech is going to bless other people and it's not going to be something that drives them away from God. I think we see that really clearly. He's talking about unbelievers here. He calls them outsiders. I think we really see that with unbelievers where we say, you know what, I gotta be careful what I'm saying. I wouldn't want something I say to push them away from God. But I don't know that we're nearly as careful with one another or even in our families where we would say, you know what, am I helping someone toward a good character and toward doing the right thing? Sometimes I think we think we can relate better to people by telling them dirty jokes or speaking like worldly people. But Paul's question cuts through all of that and just says, am I giving grace? Am I blessing them with my speech? Well, you may be thinking, well, how do I do do that? How do I give grace instead of corruption? I, I think, first of all, this is very simple to me. If Jesus says that we speak out of the abundance of our hearts, we got to get some different things in our hearts. We've got to start thinking differently. And it seems to me that if we look at our speech and our speech is a reflection that we're not really thinking about God's things at all, we don't really have any gifts to give anybody, then maybe there needs to be some work done on what I'm filling my heart with. But practically, what this is going to mean is there are just some things that don't need to be talked about. And that's okay. Maybe I just need to be quiet or find something else to say. But it also means that I need to be thinking, when I'm in a conversation, the conversation is not just about me scoring points off somebody, getting everybody to laugh at my jokes so that maybe they'll like me better, but it's instead about how am I helping people draw closer to God? I'm thinking about them. That's what love does. Love says when this conversation is over, it's not about am I better or worse. It's about am I making them better or worse. That's the way love thinks. So am I making others better? Am I giving grace? Last thing I want us to say is we speak with love when we disagree or correct instead of attacking. Somebody is out there thinking, well, that all is well and good, but 
But does that mean we always have to get along and you know, put up with everybody even if they're wrong and all that kind of stuff? Well, of course I'm not saying that we accept everything anyone says or does. But love has a way of disagreeing or correcting that does not attack. I want you to go with me to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. Paul talks about this with Timothy as uh, what he calls a man of God, a preacher of the gospel, a servant of the Lord. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22. 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So he says, Timothy, here's how you deal with people that you disagree with, that oppose you. He calls them uh, opponents. So first of all, you pursue love. That's verse 22. Pursue love. And then he also says, verse 23, watch out for foolish, ignorant controversies. You know, the kinds of things that just make arguments. That's all they're good for. And he says, don't get sidetracked into things that aren't the real substance of what matters. I've got to tell you, I think that is great advice. I think it's great advice in spiritual things. Not every spiritual thing is worth arguing about. I think it's great advice in life. You know, in our relationships, there are going to be things that we may disagree about that are just not that big a deal. And, you know, if we want to fight about it, people will fight with us. But why would we? And there are some things, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, let's argue about sports. Let's argue about politics. You know, these are tried and true that you're going to get an argument if you want to start one. But they're foolish and ignorant. There's no point to them. You know, if there's something that good that can come of it, that's fine. But usually there needs to be some discernment about the arguments and the uh, different things that we're going to involve ourselves in. Pick your battles. Don't be quarrelsome. Verse 24, the, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. There's kindness again. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. There's that word gentleness again. So he says, you correct them, you be kind, you show love, you disagree with them, but you don't have to attack them. In fact, he says, think about the fact that they've been taken captive by Satan to do his will and that God may perhaps grant them repentance so that they can move out of that position. You can disagree or correct someone without attacking them personally. That's what he's saying. And to speak with love means we have to understand the difference in those two things. That people can have wrong opinions and wrong views without it meaning that they have deep character flaws. And that's the distinction he teaches Timothy to make. Attack that idea, that argument, that mentality. But you're not attacking that person. Turn the page over to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. He's also talking to Timothy here about his preaching work. He says... Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So he says, uses three words, reprove, 
rebuke, exhort. So he says, Timothy, you're going to see a lot of things that are not proper. Correct them, work on them, talk about them, disagree with them, but not in hatred, not to attack people, but to fulfill your work of helping other people. So what I am saying when I say we disagree or correct instead of attacking is that love focuses on the substance of the disagreement instead of attacking the person. I can disagree with you and still love you. In fact, is there anybody that we don't disagree with about something? Nobody agrees with me completely, and yet I still love people. So obviously we're able to make that work in some relationships. See, when we advance to attacking people, things go sideways. I have to say, I think this is really, uh, this whole topic has really gotten worse with the advent of the internet and social media, where people are no longer able to distinguish between an idea or a principle or an argument and the person making it. Everything is now about a person's character. And you can see it when you see people uh, who immediately say things like, no, this is not true, and you're an idiot. And you hear what's happening. Well, suddenly, it's not just about the topic. It's now about their personal intelligence. Well, how are we going to respond when someone calls us names? Like we said earlier, we're probably not going to be real open to them. And so we lash back. We're no longer willing to listen because we feel attacked personally. So we need to understand that if we want people to hear our correction, we have to do more than just attack them. We have to correct, we have to appeal, we have to rebuke and reprove and exhort. There are some things we're going to say, this is really good. And then, you know, this I have a problem with. I still love you, but man, this is not working. To be able to distinguish those two things is vital if we're going to speak with love. So parents can disagree with their children without attacking them personally. This is a behavior that's not going to be acceptable. Still love you, you can't do this. And children need to be able to disagree with their parents without attacking them personally, where they express themselves clearly and say, I do this, I don't do this, I like this, I don't like this. And so we can have clear communication instead of just attacking one another. So if this distinction is being lost in our world, it is vital for you and me as Christians to learn the difference between correcting someone and attacking them. Those are two different things. So we need to learn to speak better. I especially want to say, that with all of these issues, this last one particularly and the first one particularly, that that we are in a a different kind of world at the moment where a lot of our interactions are not going to be face-to-face interactions. We're just not able to do that in the same way as normal. Now, because of that, if what we're doing is a lot of phone calling and text messaging or talking online, the issue is if you and I are talking face-to-face and I say something and I see you do this, I know that, oh, I need to explain. Or if you hear me say something, you you hear my tone of voice. You say, oh, I know what he means. He was just joking about that. But that doesn't come across in a text message. We don't know. I think we need to be especially careful in this time about how we express ourselves and how we take one another so that we can be sure we're always communicating what we intend to communicate, that we are speaking with love, that we're showing kindness Instead of harshness, that we're building up instead of insulting, we're giving grace instead of corruption, and we're disagreeing instead of attacking. So a couple of things. First of all, words reveal the heart. Jesus says that. So why would our heart be full of harshness and insults 
and corruption and attacks. Love can do better than that. If we love people, that's not going to be where our heart comes from. I remember um, when Sarah was pregnant with our kids, uh, and, well, not all at the same time, but um, I remember each one of them individually. But I remember when, when Sarah was pregnant, we just couldn't wait to meet the baby. And we wanted to know what did they look like, you know, and then we met them, and then, oh, okay, well, now it's, it's a baby, you know, well, he, he, he'd cry sometimes, he'd be happy sometimes. Well, what is he thinking? What's he like? You, you want to hear. You want to know. You want to get a feel for their personality. You start to a little bit. But once they can speak, now you know. And especially as that gift develops, I think we take for granted how we can know everything about a person's heart that they're willing to reveal to us just by listening to their speech. But I wonder if we take that same standard to ourselves and think about what my words say about my hearts. The other thing is that words change things. There is a power here. Words start wars. And words end wars. Words start marriages and words end marriages. Sometimes words make us feel like we can go on. And sometimes words make us feel like we can't go on. So the question is, if words have that much power, what kinds of changes are your words making in the lives of those you love? This can begin at home. I especially want to caution parents about using our words in a way that is flippant, And in doing so, causing damage we don't intend in our children. As parents, if our kids are sharp and critical, if our kids are talking about ugly things, the chances are very good they learned it from us. The chances are very good that we are ultimately responsible. So I I don't know exactly where this sermon is going to strike you. Some of us are going to need to soften our tone and our words. Some of us are going to need to express more kindness. Some of us are going to just need to communicate more in general. Some of us need to calm down before we talk. Some of us need to clean up our language. But I want to urge all of us to think about what will it mean if I am choosing to speak with love? Would you pray with me about it? Our God and Father, we thank you so much for time that we could have thinking about your word, thinking about what you've done for us, remembering the sacrifice of your son. And here, Father, to think about the power of our words, to hurt and to help, to give glory to you and to take glory away from you. And Father, I pray that you'll be with each one of us as we examine our hearts, as we examine our words and our relationships. Help us to have the courage to change so that we can speak with love and do good with the things that we say. Father, I pray for our homes and our families in these times where we are at home a lot more, And we are together a lot more and there are opportunities to do good in those relationships and opportunities to do harm. Help us to be intentional about what we're doing and saying. Help us to show kindness and love. Father, I pray that as we think about other relationships, as we think about our relationships with our coworkers in this local church, uh, with our friends, neighbors, 
I pray that you'll help us to remember the impact we can have and the impact you call on us to have for good and not for evil. Pray that you'll bless us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to offer an invitation. If there is someone here at the building who needs to respond and make their lives right, ask for the prayers of this congregation. Uh, If there is someone who is not here at the building and is watching uh, and you need help, you need time to study with someone, or you want to be baptized into Christ, if there's something we can do for you, we urge urge you to reach out to us on the contact uh, link on our, our website. We'd love to talk to you more about that and get in touch with you. But if there's any need that we have here at the building, we ask you to come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.